I'm Toby Kincaid. Let's be honest. Big oil runs the world. Our entire modern industrial civilization really runs on fossil fuels. And the problem with this, the paradigm of fossil fuels, is, as we've been talking about, why would anyone teach you how to fish if they could sell you a fish every day? And that's really been kind of the uh, smoke and mirrors of fossil fuels, as valuable and energy-rich as they are, and that's kind of something we'll get back to. But it, because it takes a lot of energy to run a civilization. But there's really three things about it that are going to be our demise. The first is the economic drain, the fact that energy is a commodity. If you need it, you got to buy it from someone. That's the first big drag and anchor. The second is toxicity. You know, it's a lot of pollution when you burn it. The nitrates and the sulfates go into the atmosphere. They come down as acid rain. There's all kinds of particulates. In the case of coal, all kinds of mercury. There's a lot of toxicity in burning fossil fuels. This ancient carbon that was kind of sequestered by Mother Nature in the ground until humans kind of want to dig it up, pump it up, uh, drag it up. So the second big anchor is toxicity. The third big threat in this triad is the political instability. You know, everyone needs energy. It takes a lot of energy for a human being to live in dignity, let alone millions of them, let alone billions of them. So the political instability of basing all of our energy needs on only a few holes in the ground surrounded by men with guns means that you have an absolute have and have not paradigm. That the incredible profit of selling a barrel of oil that costs a nickel to pump. In the Middle East, it's about a nickel. Uh, they sell that even now in a depressed market for enormous profit margins. So there's an economic inequity in this. There is a political inequity in this. And this brings on a lot of military stress. As we've seen through this whole series, is that every civilization known wants to expand. And in expanding, they need more energy. And that need creates an energy crisis. And when you have an energy crisis and you can't meet your needs at home, then you go abroad. And that means you need a standing army to do that. And wherever you go, they'll also develop a standing army as well. So you have nothing but conflict. It's what we call unsustainable. So what's fascinating is that this whole shakeout regarding which fuel would be the fuel of the future was, was happening 100 years ago. You know, we've, we've mentioned in the series, you've had Standard Oil with Rockefeller pioneering the use of petroleum because his philosophy was, hey, if you're going to power the world, I'm not going to teach you how to fish. I'm going to sell you a fish. Now, we saw how diesel came in with his compression ignition engine that can run on any kind of oil, a plant oil, animal fats, and rock oil. So Rockefeller, again, said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Uh, Diesel uh, had his demise over that boat in the English Channel, uh, murdered in my view. We'll get to that in the, uh, in the series to come. So what we see more to our point is that that was also a shakeout. 
but on the renewable energy side as well. Remember, diesel was talking about people growing their own fuels. But the other part of this was solar energy. It goes way back. We've covered this in this series from the Greeks and the ancient Romans, all the way up through modern society now into the modern age. We're now in 1907. And we've seen Aeneas with his incredible Machot-type concentrator in Pasadena, California, at the Ostrich Ranch, uh, producing and pumping 1,400 gallons a minute. Wonderful use of solar energy. We've covered Wilsey and Boyle, who went a different direction and developed hot boxes, which allowed you to, to have enough heat to take not water, but some other material that had, you know, a, a low boiling point, like um, sulfur dioxide or ammonia. So what um, we saw is Wilson and Boyle were able to use these alternative approaches and about up till 1907 were demonstrating an incredibly practical machine. But again, something happens. It's, it's kind of a mystery. Wilson and Boyle somewhat abruptly stop. It could be they, of course, they ran out of money. That's happened before to them, and they've raised money here and there. But perhaps they just weren't the promoters necessary, because there's a lot of, of pressure to bring down the initial cost to make it uh, as profitable as possible. Well, now enters Frank Schumann. Now, Frank Schumann is an interesting pioneer. He also has his eye on solar. He's been a very successful self-taught engineer uh, and living in Philadelphia in Taconi, a suburb. So he decides to look at all of this literature and realizes that Wilsey and Boyle are kind of on the right direction, that these hot boxes make sense. And so in his backyard, he, he starts building his solar power plants. Now, this is quite, you've got to take your hat off to these engineers of this time. You know, they, they're really incredibly practical and artistic in how they actually get the job done. Now, we're in 1907, so the, the dawn of the 20th century is in front of everyone. And, and Frank Schumann was one of those pioneers, and he wrote a lot about it in his life, how the future has to be solar-powered. If it isn't solar-powered, he, he wrote that it would either be a use of direct solar power or mankind would revert to barbarism. That there is no other peaceful way to power industrial functions like making ice, like pumping water, like distilling water, like pasteurizing food, like refrigeration, like running steam engines. All of these practical Real-world functions are demonstrable in 1907. But Frank Schumann was also a visionary and a businessman. He knew that uh, he, he wrote something to the effect of, you know, you know, natural forces aren't conquered in only a few years. So he had a very practical idea of how to systematically build a solar industry for the world to power everyone everywhere and not have this paradigm of stress, which was quite evident. Certainly everyone paid for fuel back then. It, toxicity was definitely known. As you can imagine, London in 1899 was, was, would kill you if it was foggy and smoky. I mean, that's where smog came from, that term, in around 1907. <laughs> so it, it, pollution is well understood. But Schumann knew that for a political stability, 
If you gave everyone a power supply where they could do the basic things to live, irrigate fields, pump water so they could water their gardens, distill water so they didn't die of disease and their animals wouldn't die, to be able to pasteurize wine, to be able to distill wine into liqueur, you could live sweetly. This, this is the vision of Schumann. He, he really was out to change industrial society so that the 20th century would be a blessing for so many people, not so they could enjoy all of the technology uh, and knowledge that was blooming at this time. So here we have a real visionary, and he starts with a one-foot square hot box and in a local toy store, he finds a, a little steam engine toy that he could buy for a dollar. And he kind of rigged it up and uh, with hot air worked out uh, a little system and ran his little engine. Well, this is how he started. He knew he had to crawl and then walk and then run and then fly. Now, Schumann always and often talked about the solar industry is just like when the aviation industry. After the Wrights made an actual record of flight, Schumann was out to make an actual record of solar power. So, in 1907, in Philadelphia, Schumann forms the Sun Power Company. And he builds in his backyard a large, a larger and larger version of what he had started with, but he built a, a thousand square foot, very low to the ground. It's like 50 feet by 20 feet. And uh, these hot boxes, which would take a low pressure material like the uh, sulfur dioxide, something that, you know, we'll see in Boyle showed worked very well, because then you didn't need to have the high temperatures. And he would circulate that through his hot box and come in and, and be able to run his low temperature steam engine. Then he'd condense that working fluid down to a liquid again in a, in a big, big barrel of water which would cool, cool it down. So once it's a liquid, it could absorb the heat again. And he demonstrated this and, and floored a lot of people. Now, he called it the first practical solar engine that's a little, you know, a little bold, uh, given the last 30 years of these other pioneers. Uh, however, he was a promoter. He understood that the sizzle in this is that with a solar engine, it would be such a desirable thing to the market that if you could get a piece of it, uh, you would do very well and make a grand fortune. And so he put together some American investors and they built this machine under that investment. Well, they wanted more. But, uh, you know, Schumann decided to make some kind of modifications and improvements. So what he did is he built another solar power plant. And in this power plant, he starts combining a hybrid design of some of the other elements in history, for example. He puts on side reflectors. So now he's using not expensive curved mirrors that actually have to focus on the sun directly, but with kind of a non-imaging side, you know, at 30 degrees off vertical on each side, you're able to scoop up more sunlight, direct it to the hot box, and that gave you a, a tremendous boost. He had a concentration ratio of 4 to 1. So you can imagine how much higher temperature that gave him. He loved it. Then he made another improvement. What Schumann does in this next step is it's really extraordinary and speaks to his, his innovation. Is Now, we know that Wilson Boyle, as he has just done Schumann, has uh, demonstrated using these sulfur dioxide materials and ammonia and other things, but they are kind of nasty. 
So Schumann said, I don't want to use that stuff, but I need the low temperature relative to steam. Uh, how can I do that to run my low, my low temperature you know, steam engine? And so what he does is he uses a principle that's you know, exactly like you know, why water boils at a lower temperature when it's up at a high altitude. You know, the atmospheric pressure up in Denver is much less than it is at sea level. And so correspondingly, it takes a lower temperature to make the water steam. So Schumann invents not only a low temperature engine, but a low temperature, low pressure steam engine. And he does this by isolating this internal working loop between his boilers in the solar field and this uh, and his condenser, and he's able to extract this work cycle from that. And and uh, quite extraordinarily, he's he boosted his power output, and he was getting about seven horsepower in his backyard. Well, he was even running this in the in the Philadelphia winter, and uh, a lot of engineers took note. So he was able to raise more capital for his Sun Power Company from a group of British investors. And they said, look, we'd like you to go out west, go to Denver, and test your machine, but we want to send a a very acclaimed physicist named uh, Boys, and we'd like him to take a look at your system and confirm it, and then we'll give you the money you need to take this whole thing to one of the colonies, let's say Egypt, where they have huge plantations, and it takes a lot of coal to run the, uh, the irrigation pumps. Because, you know, Egypt is a desert. you got to get the water. So this was their plan. So Boyce comes out. They all go to Denver. They build this, this solar power plant. And Boyce is quite impressed. It did exactly the way Schumann uh, uh, described that it would work. But Boyce said, look, you know, you've got the, the sunlight coming into the hot box. And you've got your side reflectors. But the bottom of the box is probably losing more heat than it gains. So why not use this parabolic trough concentrator? It's low to the ground, and that way you can irradiate the bottom of the hot box. Well, of course, this is what Ericsson did, you know, 25 years earlier. But they may have thought it was original. But Schumann was really excited, and they decided this is what the way that we're going to go. So what they've got is this low-to-the-ground parabolic concentrator concentrating a good 8, 10, 12, 14 times sunlight onto this long tube down the axis, which they would encase with glass. It was, it was kind of a hot box on all sides. And now they had the perfect result. Well, Frank Schumann moves this operation to Egypt. And now we're about at 1913. And Frank Schumann builds his machine in the desert, much to the dismay, and, and of course, everyone is so skeptical. But when he's done, he has his big celebration and, and party with the, the women with their parasols, you know, and men with their, with their top hats and, and the like, their pith helmets, of course. And they'd come out to see this incredible machine irrigating this huge uh, plantation. And this machine, uh, Schumann pumped 6,000 gallons a minute. Schumann used the hot water technique of Wilsey and Boyle, so it ran 24-7, 24 hours a day. This solar power plant pumped 6,000 gallons a minute. An extraordinary accomplishment. And just as the world was opening up to what Schumann had done, a disaster occurs. And that was World War I. 